My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I have the privilege of speaking to you today. We're going to uh, finish up a series that we've called Revitalized over the next two weeks, this week and next week. You definitely want to come back next week uh, because we're going to have a little love feast together. We're going to have a meal, and it's going to be delicious, all right? Um, now, that meal will be rooted in Scripture. It's going to be awesome. We're going to move from our service in here. It's going to be a shorter service out into the atrium and feast together, and it will be a good thing. We're actually talking about communion. I'm really excited about it. Please don't miss that. But yeah, we're in a series called Revitalize, and uh, we believe, and I know you do too, that Jesus was meant what he said when he said, I have come to offer life to the full, abundant life. We take Jesus at his word, and we want the full vitality of life that Jesus promised. And so in this series, we've been starting with the early church, because when we look at when the Spirit came and was poured out upon the church, and the church began and it grew, it was alive and thriving and beautiful and amazing, and we want to ask the question, can we have the same kind of life today? Church, can we have the same kind of vitality today? And the answer is yes in Jesus. Now, it may look different in our time, but Jesus is still on the throne. He's still offering abundant life. You are still the church, and he still has sealed us with his spirit. We have good things to look forward to. Okay, so we're starting Acts 2, Acts 2, 46 to 47. This part is where we're going to focus, or at least start and you can turn there if you want. Acts 2, 46 to 47. Please forgive my voice. It may crack, and that's okay. I am not going through puberty. I'm just getting over a cold. All right? It says this. And day by day. Okay, every day. Every day. Attending the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And we see that the same Holy Spirit that was poured off out onto the people, filled the people of God, and brought 3,000 people to faith. I mean, it was a miracle. Tongues of fire come down, Right? The people from all over the earth, Jewish people from all over the earth are there. They hear the gospel preached in their own language, and they believe. This huge miracle, the same spirit is at work, not only in that miracle, but in this new community that has arrived and, and doing life together day by day. And so what we're going to focus on today is worship, my favorite thing to talk about. They were praising God together day by day enjoying favor with, of, of one another, right? They had each other's favor in that. And we're going we're gonna to kind of start where Mike let off last week. By the way, if you haven't listened to last week's sermon, you need to go listen to it, right? It's never just another Sunday. Last week was amazing. Uh, Mike was preaching right to me, and I just, it was beautiful. It was good. All right, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. You can turn there. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. It'll be on the screen as well. And it says this. You, speaking of us, the church, those of us who belong to Jesus, have come to faith in him. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I want you to hear this, and, and we're gonna, this theme is going to keep going through the morning, and I want you to hear it. What God does in us, he wants to do through us. What God does in us, is meant to go not stop with us, but it's meant to go on to something else. You are not a people who receive mercy, but now 
You are a people. God has worked. He has revealed his mercy to your life. And because you are God's chosen people who have received mercy, you proclaim the excellencies of who he is. The one who has called you from darkness to light. We worship in response to God's mercy. Worship is always a response to God's mercy. And, right, our favorite part that Mike mentioned last week, we're priests. Right? And which everyone's like, oh yeah, I get that. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into that a little more. Um, even Romans, one of, one of my favorite verses on worship, you've probably heard it. Romans 12.1, it'll be on the screen, I think. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Another translation says, in view of God's mercy, right? Bring your life and lay it down before God as an offering. The message says, take your everyday, ordinary life and just put it before God and say, this is yours, right? This is your acceptable act of worship. Now, worship there is a word I can't pronounce in Greek, but it's the word I'm not going to try it. It's L-A-T-R-E-U-O, Latrio is how I see it. It's where we get the word liturgy from, and it just means to serve God as a priest would. Right? So your spiritual act of worship is to serve God like a priest would, is to lay down your life in view of his mercy. And if you understood, like if we could, we don't have all day, I know, I'm sorry, but if we could spend the first, tell you like the first 11 chapters of Romans, like, it's all about God's mercy, he's basically saying, right? The same God who, like, reveals himself in creation came to save us. And we were supposed to die because of our sin, but he took the death penalty for us. He forgave us. He cleansed us. Right? We don't have to sin anymore because he put his Holy Spirit in us. He's adopted us as sons and daughters. He calls us his own. He works out his purposes in our life. He gave us the same spirit as the one that raised Jesus from the dead to overcome sin. And even when we don't, he says, there's no condemnation for you because you're mine and you're totally forgiven because the work of Jesus is completely good. And there's great, this great mystery is that we get in, invited into the family of God even though we're Gentiles. So in view of God's mercy, off your life as worship. <laughs> but this is where, the reason I want to start here is because this idea of, of serving God as a priest is weird. I think, do you think it's weird? Maybe you're like, that's totally normal. Yeah, I get it. Um, but for me, it's weird because we don't talk about it enough. Now, the same word, okay, this word latrio, for instance, it can, be, it can be used as the word serve, and it can be used as the word worship in your own Bible. So like in, in the ESV translation, which I'm using, Hebrews 9, 14 says, basically the blood of Christ has cleansed us and purified our conscience enough from dead works so that we can serve the living God. That word serve is that word, latreo, right? And then just a few chapters later, it says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for God is a consuming fire. Same word, worship, serve. And this is not a new idea to the New Testament. If you know, how you have heard, uh, have seen the Disney movie, The Prince of Egypt? If you didn't know, it's actually a story from the Bible, right? Ten Commandments, maybe that's a better movie, right? An old jam. I think it's like nine hours long. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, it probably took longer in the Bible, so maybe that's good. Um, but anyway, like when God sends Moses to Pharaoh, Moses says to Pharaoh, um, God said to let my people go so they could, what? Worship. I mean, some translations you'll read is worship me in the wilderness. Other translations say serve. And see, when it comes to being a priest, the first thing that you need to know is that we're all priests. And when we show up here, when we show up to the body of Christ, and when we show up to our family at home as a believer, but wherever we show up, we show up as servants. And it's tied to the way that we worship. This is a different idea for us 
in our time, right? Because there's a, there's a church on every street. You can literally pick what kind of church you want to go to, right? In our culture, am I, you understand what I'm saying? Like, I get this. This is a real thing. We evaluate. Do they have the good enough programs for my kids? Do I like the preaching? Do I like the worship? And those are real things that we deal with. And I'm not saying they're bad, but the reality is when you think about your role in coming here, it's to come as a servant, to serve God. And to serve who else? To serve his people. See, priests, what they did, they didn't just get to serve God, which was a great privilege, but they served the people that they were with, their connection with the living God. They were present so those people could worship. So when you're thinking about what it means, when we're thinking about what it means to be a worshiping people, one, we're priests, but really all that means is we're servants of God and one another. Does that make sense? Okay. You with me? Okay. Pat taught me to ask that along the way, so I'm just asking to make sure. I mean, this is who we are. Even Paul in Philippians 3.3, he says, like, he's speaking of who the real church is, who the real people of God. He's saying it's not about, like, circumcision or, or uncircumcision. We're the real circumcision. We're the people who worship betrayal, who serve God and one another by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ. That's who, that's who we are. Now, I think Paul helps us understand this further and helps us uh, unpack this a little bit. So we're going to go to two passages. Um, one is he writes to the church of Ephesus, and we're going to unpack both of those passages because um, they're going to help us understand uh, this idea. What does it mean to worship God, but also just be a servant of him and his people. And how are they connected, right? And what we're going to see in, in both of these passages is, one, you're going to see divine power or work, right? God's divine power or work. Two, an inward reality of the heart. So we want to be looking for these things. Actions toward God and actions toward one another. All right, let's turn first to Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. It says this, do not get drunk with wine. That is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul is writing the church of Ephesus. If you don't know who Paul is, he is an apostle who came to faith in Jesus. Uh, later, after his resurrection, if you keep reading in the book of Acts, you'll read his story. He actually was someone who persecuted the church deeply, killed Christians, he meets Jesus, has his conversion, he has a long, like he gets trained and he becomes an apostle and he, and he writes a lot of the New Testament. Um, and what he says to this church in Ephesus, chapter 5, is all these instructions to them as a people how to be together. We could, we could literally take the whole chapter out and say this is how to be the church together. But in the middle of it, he talks about worship. And I want, to see, I want you to see what it's linked to, Okay. And he starts in verse 18, and he says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. If you didn't know, being drunk is bad, okay? It's just, if anyone needs to hear that today, that's just like straight out of the scripture to you, okay? Um, God does not desire, and there's a reason for that, because as followers of Jesus, we're not to be controlled by something else other than Jesus, right? Our life ambition is to be under the influence of his spirit, his rule, and his reign. And so obviously being drunk is the opposite of that because we're under the control of alcohol. Um, but, and that's the, that's the case that Paul's making here. He, he's, he wants you to understand the difference. Now, if you ever have been inebriated, well, I'm sure no one here has ever been drunk, right? Many of us have a past or we have mistakes. Um, some, but some of you haven't. That's the reality. If you've been, in, I've been inebriated, unfortunately, and what, what it's like is like you literally aren't in full control of your feelings, your emotions, your inhibitions, your pursuits. 
like the way you walk, the way you drive, like everything is impacted by alcohol in your system. In the same way, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so this is the divine power work. We need to be filled with the Spirit. And this is important for worship. Guys, we're, we're framing this, and it could be for anything, but today we're framing it in the area of worship, and that's what he's talking to these people about, right? And, and worshipers are people who are learning to live in a constant state of connection to and the awareness of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit to worship. We need the Holy Spirit to worship rightly as a church. Now, if you are a believer, a new believer, or maybe a long-time believer, and you do not understand what it means to walk by the Spirit, let me just say we're all learning that more and more each day. But that is essential. Now, and when we talk about day to day, right, if you want to come on Sundays and make, and this really be never another Sunday, right, we need to be people who know how to walk day by day with the Spirit. Um, a great resource for paying attention to the, to, this, to the Spirit, being made aware of God in our everyday life, if you haven't read it, is Brother Lawrence's uh, The Practice of the Presence of God. It's like a $2 book you can get on Amazon. Um, it's amazing. Just the idea of bringing God into our everyday actions. Right? But we need the divine power. It says, be filled, verse 18, with the Spirit. And then there's an inward reality of the heart. And I want you to see this. It says, we sing and make melody to the Lord with all our heart. Okay? So, like, worship comes, there's like, it's outward, but it comes from a place within. And it starts in here. And from the seat of all your personhood, your passion, your desires, your pursuits, who you are, from the seat of that place, worship is supposed to come and be aimed and directed at the living God. It starts in the reality of your heart. And it moves from the heart outward. Actions toward God, right? We, we aim the song of our heart. It says literally singing and making melody to who? To the Lord. With all of our heart. Now, I have, I have plenty of friends actually who don't sing. Do you know? I, I, know, I just know guys who don't sing. And, and I love these guys. We, we can be friends forever. I'm not going to look at you in this room right now, even if I know who you are. Because I don't want you ever to feel pressure from me because like we just said, worship is by the Holy Spirit. Right? But you, there's no, you're going to see it today. There's no way you can get through the scriptures and think that worship doesn't include singing. And God's people have been a singing people for all time. And God wants us to sing to him. That's just reality. That's just part of the scripture. Um, so there's action towards God. And the action towards God is from a place, you need to see this, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's from a place of gratitude. A place of gratitude. So we sing and make melody to the Lord from our hearts, from a place of gratitude. And then here's the action towards one another. We address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And we do that from a place of humility. Right, what does the last verse say? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when we, when we come to worship, we, we should have a heart towards one another that's humble, a heart towards God that's grateful, Right? We should be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we should be ready to serve. And one of the ways that we serve is we sing and we worship God and then we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So what is that? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Well, psalms is an easy one because it literally means the psalms. All right? So, ta-da, you got it right from the first try. All right? The second one is hymns. And that just means... And this is, 
like not to cancel out how we treasure hymns or talk about them or like differentiate them from modern worship songs, but it just means the songs of God's people at that time. So literally today, everything we sing would be a hymn biblically, even though you would say maybe holy, holy, holy is a hymn and shake the dust off. I just can't say that about, I don't know. I can say it because it's in the Bible, but I get what you, you understand, maybe you understand what I'm saying, maybe not. If not, find me afterward and we'll figure it out together, all right? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Spiritual songs are spontaneous songs of the Spirit. They're literally the response in the Holy Spirit to what God has done. They're like, they're like the song of the people that arise in a moment where they're gathered together and say, God has been faithful, and we sing God's faithfulness. That's what it means. Now, I want us to understand some things. I love this passage, by the way. Here's the first one. We can't disconnect worship, our worship to God, from our ministry to one another. You can't do it in the New Testament. It's just they're together. They're linked. Um, And it's because what God does in us he wants to do through us. What God does for us, He wants to do through us. And so the mercy that you've experienced from God in your life is supposed to make its way back through you either to God in praise or to ministry to one another. What God does in us, He wants to do through us. And here's the other thing I want you to see. Who does, I mean, think about this question. Who does your relationship with God impact? Right? Your ability to know and attend to the Holy Spirit. Your attitude of gratefulness. Your ability to practice thanksgiving in your life. Right here it says that impacts our community. Impacts us. It's not just for you. Like, what God is doing in you is never just for you. It's always for someone else. And when we look at this, you know, the early church, man, day by day, right, in homes together. Like, your family, your friends, your small group, your accountability partners, all those people, all that group, anytime we gather as God's people, not just Sunday, all that is impacted by the way that you walk with God. And I just, that's not, that shouldn't make you feel bad. That should make you feel excited. Right? That, that should give us purpose in our, dis, our disciplines with God, how we seek his face each day. It should give us purpose in our families at home. Okay, Ephesians 5. Now, another passage is Colossians 3. So go ahead and turn there, Colossians 3. We're going to start in verse 15. Paul writes to a different church, the church at Colossae. And it's very similar, but different. Colossians 3, 15 through 17. And again, we're, I want to remind you what we're looking for. We're looking for divine power or work. We're looking for an inward reality of the heart. And we're looking for actions towards God and actions towards one another. Um, right? Let's, we're letting the Bible define, the New Testament define worship for us. It says this, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, there's that idea again, in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, divine power or work is this, the the peace of Christ reigning over our hearts. And we'll get back to that because that's also part of the inward heart reality. And the second one is the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. Let's just start there. The word of God, and I just have to say is, Day by day, the Word of God making its way into the fabric of your life. 
Are you letting God weave his reality, his truth, into your day-by-day existence? Because it says here that to worship, we need to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Like that's something you need to show up to serve God and his people. If you need a place to start, um, if, you, if you're not in the Word every day, two, two really great places to start. Right? The Gospels themselves. Look at what Jesus, Jesus said, who he is, what he did. Well, the first time I read through the Gospels, I was so surprised by Jesus because he was way more, I was so convicted to you because I had some wrong thoughts and ideas about who he was. Right? We want to know Jesus. That's a great place to start. Or the Psalms, right? We just talked about how the Psalms are part of our worship. That's another great place to start. But we need the word of Christ to abide in us virtually. Jesus himself said, if you want to bear fruit, right? If you want to see the work of the Spirit in John 15, you have to abide in me. Let my words Abide in you. Right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. So it makes sense. The inward reality of the heart. I like this passage. It's, they're similar, right? This passage and the Ephesians passage. But this passage expands the idea of the heart to our hearts. Like not just your heart, but our hearts. And it says, let the peace of Jesus rule over our hearts, have its way over us. And it's this idea really of shalom, uh, that the peace of Jesus should be at the center of the way we do life. It's the center of our relationships together. It's the center of our relationship with God. It's the center of our relationship with ourself, right? Shalom. There's a deep peace. And when we come to worship... Or to come with the, with, the, with the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts and the word of Christ dwelling in us richly and the spirit of Jesus filling us up. That's a picture from these two passages. Even to expand that idea more, this shalom together, turn just a few, turn just a few like pass, like, uh, verses before. Start in verse 12. It says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion. Well, first let's start, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Doesn't that sound like Peter? That royal priesthood, that people that God has set apart for his glory. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Doesn't that sound like the work of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ? If one has a complaint against each other, forgive each other. Why? As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Jesus, in his own teaching in Matthew 5, said, um, and he was talking about anger right before this and murder. And he's like, like basically, if, what's the difference? If you have anger in your heart that's so much Right? It's, like, it's like committing murder. It, it, it's, it's a sin against God. And, and he, he goes on, he says, If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, and go first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. The idea is, if you have made someone angry, you don't want to leave. That's dangerous. And hurtful, you don't want to leave them like that. If, even if it's not your fault, let's say. And all, I think all of us have experienced hurt and anger, and it's hard to let go. We, we know what he's talking about. Right? But if you have offended your brother and you know it, even if you don't think you're wrong, go to that brother. Make it right. Before you come and offer your gift in worship, like, go make that right. And, you know, it's not just on the person who made someone angry. Because sometimes we're angry at people and they don't even know. Like, 
Like that dude, man, what? He just hit me? That guy doesn't care about me. What the world? And he doesn't even know. That's a dumb example. Like there's way better real life examples than that. That's all I came up with in the moment, right? But like Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, if brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them their fault between him and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. So the onus is on both sides. And church, I think this is actually, this is a side note, but this is really important. If you're offended by someone else, it's very clear in Scripture, you're not supposed to go to their leader or their pastor. You're not supposed to go to your friend and say, I'm so hurt. It says you're supposed to go to that person alone and work it out. And that preserves unity in the body of Christ. And it is sin to do otherwise. You need to hear that. But, like, the reason we do it is because we have peace with God. And it's not just anger, right? It's not just instead of anger, we're at peace. But, like, we have peace, the peace of Jesus, like, we don't have to be anxious people. The peace of Christ ruling our hearts. Can you imagine if we were freed up from our anxieties, our fears, our anger, our sin, and we were just ready to serve one another? Like we just showed up free. What kind of worship would unleash and happen? What kind of ministry to one another would would be able to take place. What God does in us, He's forgiven us. He wants to do through us. So, again, um, there's a reality of our heart. It's this heart of peace, but also it talks about thanksgiving in the heart. Thanksgiving in our heart. Verse... uh, 16, the end of verse 16, with thankfulness in our hearts. This idea of gratitude. We're people who practice gratitude. So this is all how we come together to worship. And we, in this it says we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. I don't know if you knew that, but your role is to admonish, to encourage, to uplift, to teach your brothers and sisters. Sometimes that's just easy, like it's as easy as participating in what's happening. Like sometimes, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but the weight of the world is just heavy. And I can't even sing. I believe what we're saying, but I can't even sing it in the moment. But I hear my brother or sister next to me proclaiming that it's true. And, I, and for me, it's like, that act of faith, something that I can't offer yet, but it's lifting me up. You know what I'm talking about? I went to, um, I got to go to high school camp. My, my wife and I, we've been serving in the high school ministry uh, this year with, with the worship team. And so our junior higher and high schoolers uh, went to camp in February, and we got to go with them. I'm an old man, so I'm more in the background now than anything up front. Um, but... I was part of the worship team, and we're singing a song, and it's about hope. And it was, uh, I forget the words now. You keep hope alive. Thank you, Teddy. That's my man. You keep hope alive. From beginning to end, your word never fails. And then it gets to this bridge, and um, the bridge is like hope in the morning, in the evening. I mean, it's just like names all these time. We have hope all day long, basically. And we got halfway through the bridge, and my brother Charlton, he's, he's from uh, Anchor Church down the road. They, they came with us, and they were part of the band. And he just screamed hope. Like the word came out, and he just screamed the word. And uh, like it, it was like a guttural cry from his heart, and I knew... What something? Why that was? I knew some things that they were going through, and I knew where that came from, and it was like when he did that, I realized my soul had needed to do that for so long, 
and I just couldn't. And I was able to enter into that moment of worship with him because he was free. And he proclaimed to Jesus what I just wasn't able to. And I remember after the service, it's high school camp, and I'm 41 years old, and I care about feeling cool. So I ran into the closet, and I just wept. Because that's weird. A big dude on stage crying for no reason, right? And maybe it's not, but, you know, I'm not perfect. And so... But I just wept, and I had, I had this moment with the Lord. I was like, yes, Lord, hope. You keep it alive. And it was like something in my soul connected to the truth of that song. And my brother's worship helped me connect to it. What God does in you and what God does through you is not just for you. It's not just for you. And in all this, it says, in everything you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything for his glory, right? Giving thanks to God. We see that attitude of thanksgiving. When we bring this all together, like... One, your worship, our worship as a community is a reflection of how we walk with Jesus. It's a reflection if, if we know how to attend to, obey, and walk by the Spirit. It's a reflection of if we're a grateful people. It's a reflection of if we know how to meet with Jesus and receive the peace that he imparts to us. And understand what it means to be ruled by him and his shalom. It is. There's no way around it, guys. Our ministry to one another is connected to our worship. And so if, let's say, and this so often here, I think it does happen for so many of us. Let's say we show up when we're full of the Spirit. We're full of Christ's peace. Right, We are full of the word of God. It's made its home in us. The words of Jesus are hidden here. And we come as servants ready to serve God and serve one another. And lastly, I think we come in freedom. Freedom. And why do I say that? Because if you go back to the Acts 2 passage, what does it say? It says they praise God day by day. And connected to that phrase is enjoying the favor of one another. There was such freedom in their worship and their ministry to one another. They did not have to care what other people thought. And I think we spend so much of our lives managing our reputation and what other people think of us that we miss out on saying yes to, with abandonment to the Holy Spirit. So what would it look like if we came like that in full freedom? And I think actually the Psalms can help us. And so um, I want to look at some of the Hebrew words for worship um, from the Psalms and what they mean. And I want you to know these are straight out of the Bible. They're not things I made up. Okay? Uh, The first one is when you read the word praise and you're New Testament, often it's the word hallel. Have you heard that word before? Have you heard the word hallelujah? Right? The word hallelujah is the word hallel and God's name put together and it means worship or praise be to God. So hallel just means praise. Right? This Hebrew word for praise. But what it means is to rave about. Right? To make a big show about to glory about, to make yourself a fool for. So when we're saying praise, we're saying we rave about God. And that's true. What you love, you talk about. What you love is on your lips. There's no, there's no denying that. But Psalm 63, 5, it says this, my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. That's the word hallel. Psalm 22, 23 says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. That's the word hallel. Praise the Lord. If you go to Psalm 15, 150, it's the end of the Psalms. It's like there's all these ways we can praise God. 
Uh, and we praise him. We hallow the Lord. We hallow him according to his excellent greatness. We hallow him with trumpet sounds. We hallow him with harp, with lyre, with timbrel. We hallow him with dance. Who's ready? I heard an amen. Church, I'm actually impressed. Let's go. We are going to be the most awkward hallow dancers ever. Can we just... But, but maybe, just maybe, we could hallow and dance. I'm not saying we have to dance. I'm saying there's freedom to worship God in all these ways. Hallow with stringed instruments. Hallow with pipes. If you brought your pipe, bring it out. Hallow with loud cymbals. Hallow with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath hallow the Lord. Praise the Lord. The other is the word abad. You already you already heard this word. It actually is the same word used in the Exodus, right? To, to let my people go so they, can, so they can abide me in the wilderness. It means to serve or to work for like a priest. And, and Psalm 2 says, abide, worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Another is shakah. Can you say that? Everyone's favorite word to say, yes. It means to bow down or prostrate oneself, to get on your face before God. And Psalm 29, 2 says, see, when you read in English, it just says, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. But what the psalmist is saying, get on your face in the presence of God's holiness and the splendor of it. He's worth it. Psalm 95.6 is a famous psalm. We, we've read it here many times, actually. It says, come, let us worship and bow down. In English, you have to add both. But that's just shakal. Let's come, let us bow down before the Lord. Another one is the word barak, and it means to bless the Lord. Did you know you could bless God? That's a thing. You can bless the Lord. Think about that. When I want to bless someone, what do I do? Right? I'm, I'm doing something for them that, that gives them delight, that gives them life, that gives them pleasure, that helps them in some way. God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need anything from us, which is the amazing part. But we are allowed to bless God. Say, Lord, we delight in you. We love you. We bless your name. And that word means not just to bless, but it means to kneel. Did you know that? That word oftentimes you see as bless in the Psalms means kneel. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, have you ever walked around on your knees? No. So what is the psalmist saying? My position for the Lord is one of humility at all times. At all times I'm bowing before the Lord my King. Psalm 95.6, come let us worship and bow down. We heard that was shakah. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Let us barak. Say barak. Wow, you're really good at Hebrew. Okay. Next one. Are you guys liking this? Okay, I, I love this, but I'm a worship pastor, so I'm supposed to. Okay, so next word is geel. Can you say that word? This is my favorite one. It means to spin around. Under violent emotion. It's my favorite one because I can't possibly do it. I've tried sometimes. And Don has this joke. He makes fun of me when I try every time. But did you know that God is worthy of spinning around for? It's another way of dancing. You ever see kids delight in something and just like, you know, like spin around? I don't know. Ta-da, I did it. Um, like kids know how to, how to delight in things. It's adults who have problems. Um, but this word, to spin around under the influence of any violent emotion. Psalm 32, 11 says this. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Yeal. Your righteousness in his righteousness and shout for joy. Oftentimes, yeeling comes with shouting. If you didn't know. Uh, let's go back to the beginning of where we started. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will. That's Giel. You all said it already. We're going to spin around violently. Did you, I mean, but do you catch that? Like, just because God gave us today, 
he's worthy of, of our worship. Right? We can be glad in it. Yeah. Uh, and, and this, I love this. Psalm 35, 9 says, My soul shall rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall yield. It shall rejoice in his salvation. And, and I know that some of us are limited in our mobility. And what this is saying is that yield is actually something that starts in the soul. There's an inward reality, and you don't have to be exempt from it, even if your body can't move. You can yield. The Lord deserves your worship. Um, Zephaniah, okay, side note. Zephaniah 317, uh, it's about God and Israel. And it says, the Lord your God is in your midst. You've probably heard this, this, this verse before. A mighty one who will save, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. And, and most worship pastors love to talk about it. It's like God sings too and he sings over you. But the, the word there, he will exalt over you with loud singing. That word exalt is actually yield. Did you know that God spins around in delight over you? Isn't that insane? That's how much he loves you? And it says he sings loudly over you. God isn't ashamed to proclaim his love for you. He loves you. God dances over you. He's amazing. Of course, our response is to yield over him. Okay. Now listen very carefully. Next word is tehillah. Okay? Did you hear me correct? Yeah. Tehillah. Yeah, I know. Tehillah. All right? Can you say that? Yeah. That's funny. All right. Tehillah. Yeah. And it just means a hymn of spontaneous praise. It's, it's a hallel, a praise that comes spontaneously. The idea is that you're so overcome with the reality of God's mercy that it just flies out of your mouth. It's spontaneous praise. Um, it's not planned. It's a new song that rises from within. And I, I went to a worship leader conference, and, which is really cool, because it was like 3,000 people in the room who loved to sing. And they, we did this, so they said, hey, we're going to just try and practice this. And they just said, let's go for it. And we all just like, whatever God's doing in your life, just respond to him and sing. And that room was so loud and was filled with the song of so many people. And the reality of God's presence felt heavy. And it, and it makes sense to me because it, the, the, the passage that Mike even quoted last, last week, he said, the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Right? In Psalm 22, 3, it says, You are holy and you're enthroned on the praises of Israel. That word praises is tehillah. It means that when we rejoice in God and we allow the reality of what He's done to come out of us in, in, with one another, He dwells in that. He makes His kingdom known there, He makes His person there. The weight of His presence, His holiness, His kingship. It's beautiful, ain't it? Psalm 34, 1. Again, goes back. I will bless that word Barak, right, to, to Neil. I'll bless the Lord at all times. His Tehillah will continually be in my mouth. There's no way. There's no way you're going to live like that. Where the glory of God and His excellencies just fly out unless the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly. Unless the peace of Christ has governed your heart. Unless the spirit of, of Christ fills you. But the good news is all those things are available to us. And we can be people who continually declare the goodness of God. Last one, we, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. And this isn't exhaustive, by the way. There's actually more. This is just like a section of words. <laughs> just what we could get through today. Yada. Yada means to cast out our hands and just say thank you. Remember that spirit of gratitude that Paul says when we worship, that needs to be in place. That spirit of thanksgiving. And Psalm 33, 2 says, praise the Lord with the harp. In fact, praise him with any instrument and that word praise means 
Yada. And I love that because it's the idea of for our musicians, Ethan right now, he's playing. He is using his hands. He's throwing out his hands. And this right here is praise. But we also, too, when we sing, we lift our hands. And so Psalm 61, 8 says, I will sing praise to your name forever. And it's this idea that we're so thankful, our hands just go up. I remember when I was a kid, like, if I won checkers, I'd be like, yeah. Like, we know this is actually normal in every living room in this building. Every, every home that you have, every place that you've been, hands have gone up like that, either over a touchdown or a win or a surprise, right? A home run. Cubs win. <laughs> right? You know what I'm talking about. We know how to celebrate. We know how to be thankful. Psalm 1849, I will give thanks to you, O oh Lord. I will lift my hands in Yada to you. Last verse. Yada. If you know Leah's story in, in Genesis 29, Leah is a wife of Jacob. She is not the wife that he wanted. Um, Jacob had a favorite wife, uh, and I think her name was Rachel. Is that right? Is this my wife's name? So I better remember that. I think I got that right, right? Sometimes all of a sudden up here, you're like, my brain froze. All right, I don't know. All right, but Leah, Leah was hated. It says, basically, Jacob hated her. So she has four kids. Leah has four kids. And, and the first kid she has, um, she's like, now, man, God looked on me with favor. Now, now my husband will love me. And the second kid she has, because he doesn't, second kid that she has, it says, and the Lord is blessing me. Like, he knows how much I'm hated. The third kid she has, she says, yeah, maybe now, maybe finally, like, God has been gracious to me. Maybe finally my husband will love me. He'll pay attention to me. He doesn't. And you get to kid number four. I think it's amazing because Leah's situation doesn't change. But she says, this time, I'll yada. This time, I'll yada. My situation hasn't changed. But I'm not looking for that anymore. This time, I'm just here to praise the Lord. And she names the fourth son Judah, and his name means praise. It's beautiful. So, church, God has given us his spirit. God has made shalom for us with one another. He has called us to be his priests. He hides his word in our hearts. And he has called you today to allow what he's done in you to come out through you and worship back to him and ministry to one another with with gratitude. Would you stand and let's worship him together.